Today, we're going to be speaking about money with an anti-financial advisor. We're going to be speaking with somebody who has five wisdom teeth or more. I'm not quite sure. I'm welcoming today Chris Miles, a business owner, somebody who managed to retire twice, once at the age of 28, once at the age of 39. He's going to teach us about financial secrets, but anti-financial secrets, and still how to retire. And he's also the host of... Um, a podcast called the Money Ripples podcast. So do check it out. Today, I'm welcoming Chris Miles. Hey, it's so good to be on. Good to have you. <laughs> Chris, um, you started from um, deep in debt. At least this is what I understood from you. How did you dig yourself out? What methods did you apply? What happened? How did you manage to yeah. retire and what does it mean actually? How do you define re retirement money? Yeah. So let me talk about how I got there in the first place. So um, I wasn't always raised about money. The only thing I was raised about money was that it was scarce, right? It was always about scarcity. There's never enough. We can't afford this. What do you think? Money grows on trees. I'm not made of money. You know, you know, those kind of phrases I was taught growing up from my father and my parents. And well, I thought I didn't want to have that kind of life. And so when I was going to college, I was going to become a business consultant, but I figured I should have real life business experience. So I dropped out of college. I figured let's go find some business to start and I can always go finish my MBA later. Well, the first business that I came across was becoming a financial advisor, not realizing they take anybody off the street as long as you could pass a test and not be a criminal. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And uh, I did that for several years, never went back to college. I stayed dropped out. And several years in, then my dad asked me, he said, Chris, when are you going to advise me? And it took me by surprise because I didn't think, you know, the guy that changed my diapers, I never thought he would want to listen to me about money. Right. But he was desperate. He was, he was at the point, he was 61 years old. He'd been saving his entire life. He'd, he'd done that traditional saver scarcity mentality, right? Which is save everything, spend nothing. And hopefully you have something someday. Well, as I sat down with him and I looked at his finances for the first time in my entire life, I said, okay, dad, you're debt-free. You've been saving all this money in your retirement plans, but guess what? If you want to retire today, you better hope you die in five years because that's how long your money is going to last you before it runs out. And that's not what he wanted, obviously. So he said, well, what do I do? I said, I don't know, because the truth is, is that you're doing everything right that I would teach as a financial advisor. And that bothered me very badly. And so I didn't know what to do. And a few weeks later, I had a friend that, that confronted me on it. He's a friend that I used, I had trained to be a financial advisor, but then he left to be a real estate investor. And my friend said, well, Chris, how many of your clients are really financially free where they don't worry about money? And I thought about even those that were in retirement and even them, they, they still worried about running out of money. So I said, well, none, they all worry about running out of money. Okay, Chris, well, how about this? How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions you're earning, but actually doing the investments? And as I really honestly, as I was honest with myself, I realized none, none of them were financially free either. There's people working there since the late 1970s still couldn't retire themselves. So if it didn't work for a financial advisor, why would it work for any of their clients? And at that point, I had a choice. Either I can keep working and doing that because that was my career and just put blinders on or I quit and keep my integrity intact. So I chose the latter. I quit. Vowed never to teach about money again. I'm done. That's it. I'll just 
do mortgages and I'll do some ballroom dancing on the side. Well, as I was doing that, I wanted to learn about how my friend Were you earning was money becoming, with ballroom dancing? Uh, a little bit under the table. Not that anybody knew about, because once you start earning money with ballroom dancing, you have to declare as being a professional. Ah. So I try to keep myself in the amateur status so I could still stay on top, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I was actually one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers here in the United States. And um, so anyways, I was doing that. I was even teaching a little bit at the university. and But I wanted to know how my friend was doing this with real estate investing. Well, long story short, several months later, as I started to apply it myself, I was in the point where I had enough passive income coming in where I could quit, even quit doing mortgages or anything else. And that was a surprise. I didn't expect to be there that quickly. I was 28 years old. So I was wondering what to do with my life. What's my higher purpose? What can I be doing? And I realized it was something around teaching. And the one thing that naturally everybody wanted to ask me was, how did you do it? Right? Because I wasn't advertising, telling people I retired, but- when people found out, they said, oh my goodness, like, how did you do that? So I came out of retirement in 2007. I started a business with a few other partners. We were, you know, the sky was the limit. We were so happy and excited to teach people these principles. And then the recession hit. And the people we were coaching specifically were real estate investors that were flipping real estate properties or just buying and selling. They were going out of business. And as a result, we almost went out of business. And I went from millionaire to upside down millionaire by about 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. meaning I was over a million dollars in debt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you asked, how did I get out of that? Well, I had no money, no credit available. All I had was what was up here and the principles that I learned to do it the first time. And so I stopped teaching people how to get out of the rat race at that point, because I can't teach something I don't do because that's not in alignment with me. So instead, what I ended up doing is I actually started teaching people how to find money because that was something I was doing because I was having to get creative. I didn't file for bankruptcy. I didn't want to quit. I didn't want to give up because I'm, I'm just really stubborn. My ego didn't want to let go. So um, good and bad with that ego, right? And uh, as a result, you know, I, I started teaching people how to find money and get creative, get resourceful. And, and that's what I would start doing. That's where those, these seven secrets to free up cash today came from, was from that period of time, learning it myself and then teaching it to others. And pretty soon our business started booming. I started helping people because I wouldn't tell people I was broke at the time because that's not exactly the best thing to do when you're a business owner to say, hey, I really need money. Can you do business with me? That's, that's not great. Um, I didn't want to put off that desperate energy. And so when people told me, Chris, I would love to work with you, but I don't know if I have the money to do it. And in the back of my mind, I'd be thinking, well, wow, well, your situation is way better than mine. I bet you I could find the money. And so I tell them, if I could find the money for you, would you then pay me? And they said, yes. And that's how it got started. Eventually, as I started to do that, and we can go into the how to get out of the, the mental funk that I had too. But as I started to do that, eventually the right relationship showed up. And then our business went from almost bankrupt to about $6 million the, the following year in 2010. Wow, and that's when everything started to turn around. I started paying off a lot of my debts and things that I had. And uh, eventually by 2016, by December 2016, I had built up enough passive income again that I didn't have to keep working. And so now that's where I am. I'm work optional. I work because I want to, not because I have to. And that's what I teach people to do is to do that very thing. Mm -hmm. Well, what, do you invite guests on your podcast? Well, what, what kind of subjects do you discuss on your podcast? We talk about anything, usually money related, um, sometimes mindset related as well, and abundance and prosperity, things like that, freedom. Uh, but a lot of times we get kind of in the weeds. We, we talk about some strategies from time to time. And, 
And getting people to wrap their heads around what I learned when I quit being a financial advisor was that everybody's teaching you out there, all the, the judgmental financial experts that you hear out there telling you that you're not doing enough, right? You're never saving enough, even though it's their fault that you can't save enough. Um, and I say that because they have you do strategies that don't work and they'll blame you for a strategy they're recommending, right? And the reason they recommend you to put your money in the stock markets and, and with them is because they make money off of you, whether you make money or not. Mm -hmm. And so their, their philosophy is very much the accumulation mentality. It's how do I accumulate a big enough nest egg to then live on less than the interest? And hopefully inflation won't kill my money by the time I die, right? Hopefully I die before my money does. That's kind of what people hope for. And that philosophy really has not worked ever. It's very, very difficult to even make that work. I teach instead of more, instead of accumulation, I teach acceleration. So I teach people to actually get their money working harder for them. And so, give you an example. Um, I had a client where, you know, he, he had a million dollars in his retirement plan from the military, you know, and here in the United States. And that million dollar retirement plan, he went to talk to his financial advisor. He says, okay, I want to quit. I want to retire. And the financial advisor said, well, great. You have a million dollars, which by the way, only really one and a half percent of people have actually done mm -hmm. <laughs> is save a million dollars. He did it. Well, the financial advisor says, well, now you can live on 30,000 a year. So 3%, right? Well, a million dollars living on 30,000 a year, that's like being a broke millionaire, especially mm -hmm. in the state of California where he lives. But I mean, there's homeless people that make about that much money. Mm -hmm. So he knew that wasn't going to work. So when he came to us, we started looking at things outside of the stock market that weren't gambling as much. We started looking at things like real estate investing and various types of real estate investing and things that are backed by real assets. And now that money, instead of making him 30,000 a year, is making him 130,000 a year. And that's money that he doesn't have to work for. That's money where he puts it with other investors, other doing other things, and he makes money. And, and that's the difference. That's what I mean by acceleration. It creates a bigger income for you and it just keeps paying it. So you're not even using your million dollars. That's the money that's actually returning back to you. The million dollars is still there. That golden goose doesn't starve, which in financial planning, they tell you to live on 3%. They do that because inflation keeps going up. And so eventually what happens, you have to kind of keep starving the golden goose until you don't have a golden goose anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's the big difference. It's that it's how do we provide real income from it versus just trying to build a nest, big nest egg. It's getting your money to work harder for you. Mm -hmm. And so the investments you advise, you advise this person on and you generally advise on are still related to real estate. I understand. Is it rent from real estate or? Well, yeah, there's things the like even in the oil and gas space, which mm -hmm. of course people are, you know, they're happier now lately, especially as prices have gone back up again, right? Which always happens. Um, there's always cycles, but yeah, everything, it's usually real estate backed. So it could be like, it could be buying a rental property, but not in your backyard. It could be a rental property in the other end of the United States, right. completely opposite end. And we even have people in like Australia and in the United Kingdom, places like that, that will buy properties here because they'll make more money here than they will back at home, mm -hmm. but you don't have to manage the property. So you don't have to be there on site. You have somebody else taking care of the property there that is there on site. They take care of all the headaches. They deal with the tenants, the toilets and the trash, right? right. Um, they do all the work for you. You're essentially buying the property and then you collect the rent after you pay the property manager. Mm -hmm. um, so things like that. You, know, you could be also be lending money to people in the real estate space. So letting them borrow money from you, like you're the bank, they'll pay you anywhere from usually at least 10 
12% a year on your money. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, like I mentioned, oil and gas. Um, I, I have an investment where I have money that I not only make money from the rent of the land, because oil companies don't want to own the land, they want to rent it and then just drill it. Yeah. Well, I can make money off that and I can make money off the natural gas because it's not just the oil, it's the the steam essentially that comes off of oil is natural gas, which is a clean green energy. So I so I not only make money from the rent, but I also make royalties from the drilling that they do. So there's things like that. Um I even like raw land, you know, empty parcels of land with no houses on it. Um I I have about uh I invested about now it's a little over a quarter million dollars that I have invested, but it's making me $7,600 a month. So uh, I would imagine by this time next year, I'll probably be well over $10,000 a month um, from but that quarter million dollars, making, right? How is it making you this money, the land that you bought? Yeah. So uh, so I have a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, I let the partners do the work because, again, I like to be passive. Um, but what they're doing, they're buying and selling the land for me. So I, I use my money. They buy the land at a, usually at a little bit of a discount. They'll turn around and sell it to somebody. So say, for example, they buy the land for $10,000, mm-hmm. but then they'll turn around and sell it to somebody at the retail price of $25,000. But now somebody could buy cash for it, but a lot of times people will just buy it on terms, as they say, mm-hmm. almost like you become the bank. So it might be like a five-year or a 10-year loan that they'll do. They'll get charged interest. But that $25,000 loan that they have, they might end up paying me, say, you know, $300 a month. Well, that means I bought it for ten thousand, but I'm making three hundred dollars a month. That's like making thirty six percent return on my money just yeah. from that, you know. So, it's kind of cool because really they're going to pay me well over twenty five grand, but I only, but we only paid ten thousand for it. So it's so that's kind of how they do it there. Um, and there's other things you do. There's even franchises. People can buy partnership interest into car washes and get paid from the profits of the car wash. Um, that's a little bit more speculative, but I mean, there's, uh, but again, it's it's got backed by real assets, right? It's not just an idea. It's not just some stock that could go up or down whenever it feels like it. You actually have some control because you own an interest in these kind of things and you have a say in the matter. Mm-hmm. Now that inflation is, you know, up and down and at some point there are talks that the US dollar can actually be replaced by a stable currency where inflation mm-hmm. won't be playing a role anymore. Will these principles still apply? Definitely. Um, and the truth is there is no such thing as stable currency. <laughs> um, everything goes up and down, uh, just like the US dollar, right? Uh, everything does go up and down. And they haven't really found a good result for that. Because like, for example, I remember being introduced to Bitcoin in 2010. Now, if you remember, 2010 back. Bitcoin it was- goes up and down because, it, because, uh, because of the printing of money. But if, if there is no increase of the money supply, the inflation won't go up. That was the theory. Um, that that's the theory, but it's it hasn't held true um, because, I mean, even Bitcoin, we've already seen it drop significantly, especially as more people buy buy the asset, right? Um, just so you know, uh, last year I actually invested in some Bitcoin, but again, I never I never put my money in things that are highly speculative, like a lot of things like like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and things like that, because I already know they can be manipulated. Uh, for example, Goldman Sachs, one of the largest financial institutions right now, Goldman Sachs was sued $1 billion for manipulating the price of gold. Now, gold is supposed to be like the same thing. And when I was pitched Bitcoin in 2010, that's what they're telling me. They're like, this is like gold, but better. It's digital, right? So I was like, okay, that could be cool. The problem is, though, is that 
when I asked them, I said, well, what's it backed by? Well, nothing. Okay, well, what makes that any different than a paper currency? Or really, we don't even have it. Even the US dollar is not really a paper currency. It's really not much different than being a digital currency even to this day, mm -hmm. right? It's just its own digital currency. Well, so the problem is this, is that I said, well, you have the same problem. You could still devalue, even though you don't make more, still with more competition, if there's other currencies that try to come out to compete with it, it can actually devalue your currency. And we saw that happen with Bitcoin. Bitcoin could have taken off a lot faster had it not had a couple hundred other digital currencies competing with it that everybody was trying to rave about. Um, and then, of course, last year. So I mentioned that Goldman Sachs manipulated the price of gold. Well, gold is a much larger market than even Bitcoin, much, much larger. And just one company was able to manipulate that price. Mm -hmm. Who's to say that couldn't happen to Bitcoin or any kind of digital currency for that matter? Oh, it's, well, it's, it's last year, 2022, all the time by institutional investors, of course, all the cryptocurrency, the, the large. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And 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 here's the here's the thing that got me. It was a crypto guy came to speak at a conference I was at, and uh, and I was holding Bitcoin. It was up around fifty, sixty thousand dollars, if you remember, at that time back in March of 2022. Mm -hmm. And I remember the guy came to the conference and he said, "Guess what, everybody?" He said, "What's the job of the Federal Reserve?" And everybody said, "Control inflation," right? That was the number one answer. Control inflation. He said, wrong. It's not to control inflation. It is to protect the value of the US dollar. That is their primary objective. In interest rates and inflation, that's just a byproduct. They want to preserve the value of the US dollar. So what's a threat to US dollar? Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, those kind of digital currencies. So what do they do? He says, the reason you've seen it spike up to 65,000 right now is because the Federal Reserve Board is buying up all of the Bitcoin right now. He's like, mark my words, Bitcoin will not surpass $50,000 for a very, very long time. And so I said, was that true? Well, the later that week, I said, I'm going to sell. I sold about $47,000. And since then, we've seen what happened to Bitcoin. It hasn't even been able to break past 30000 really for the last year. It's been stuck, right? Because the Federal Reserve's bought it. So just know that and, and of course, we know that the Federal Reserve is going to come out with their own digital U.S. dollar because, again, they want the U.S. dollar to dominate. They will squash anything that becomes a threat. Even when people start talking about Chinese currencies, oh, about Chinese currency, they're about to go through a depression right now. They're in major, they're in a worse economic spot than, than we are in the U.S. Now, Europe, we're already seeing hyperinflation there because they don't lie about their inflation numbers in Europe. That's why Turkey has over 10% inflation right now. We're seeing, economically speaking, the U.S. dollar is still the strongest front runner. And nothing is really giving it a good threat to, to push it off its pedestal. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time to do that. So when people say, well, what about the U.S. dollar? Or what about digital currency? Well, U.S. is going to go digital anyways. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And they're going to have their own thing. And they're going to try to protect that value and make that the thing that people invest in, not these other, other, other smaller players in the game. Well, the increase in Bitcoin closely follows the money supply. So the, the amount of money printed... Uh, at the time of the pandemic was all, it was an inflow to Bitcoin and that's why the, the price went up. This is at least what I've been uh, mm -hmm. listening. And, and so then what the Fed did was actually buy back what it had printed. So it made the circle of, the, exactly. of its money supply. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were, they were buying and selling, just trying to get the right price so that they could dominate it. You know, and they're trying to do it very quietly. That's why they didn't spike it over a hundred thousand. Cause I was hoping for, you know, I, I remember people telling me end of 2022, this thing's going to break a hundred thousand. 
maybe by 2025, we'll hit $500,000. Remember hearing that? And I was, I was hoping for it too. I still have a teeny bit of Bitcoin that I have, but I pulled out all my profits when it was 47,000. Um, so I made way more money than what, what I invested in it, but um, it's not something I would look as a stable type of investment. Uh, definitely not something I would gamble my wealth on. Mm -hmm. Are you are you acquainted with the currency uh, XRP? It's not good with the coin XRP coin, Ripple XRP. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I'm not really a I, again like most of those currencies. I'm really just not a big fan of because I just know they can be manipulated and they're more speculative. I mean, if I see the right opportunity, if I see it hit a really big crash. Sometimes I'll buy in, you know, that's what I did with Bitcoin. Like when it crashed to down around, you know, $5,000, I decided to buy up some Bitcoin. Um, XRP though, yeah, I don't really, I don't really care. I, I, again, I think right now the safest thing you can be doing, because I know we're moving into a bigger recession than what we felt in 2020. 2020 was just a warm up, but mm -hmm. the feds, because all that money printing they did, all the, all the money we've put in the system, which also drove up the price of Bitcoin at the time too. All that printing is going to have it's really it's 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 heyday right it's, it's really going to have the balance coming back into flowing it back downward i think the stock market is going to crash more than what you're seeing right now you're mm. going to see a lot of things start to really get affected more layoffs a, a bigger recession possibly depression with what's going on so right now i'm buying real assets that are tangible that hold value even in those times so that's why i'm buying more real estate right now or i'm lending to people that are in real estate for that very reason, because I want to make sure that I'm owning real assets that will survive this kind of economic crash we're leading into. Mm -hmm. But the value of these assets will also go down together with the, the entire economy. Exactly. That's why I don't invest in the stock market either. If the stock market really crashed, maybe I'll throw some money in. But I put that as the same category as digital currency. The stocks, they, they don't even return that much in the first place. The S&P has only averaged 7.75% in the last 30 years. Yeah. That's horrible where I can make better, more certain returns in real estate, making easily 20 plus percent on my money. And so I'd rather put my place in somewhere where it's safer and I make more money than putting in a place that's riskier and makes mediocre returns at best, like the S&P 500. So you're right. I wouldn't put money in there either. No, no. I actually meant that the, the real estate uh, will also depreciate as the as the whole economy goes down, but you're actually making money not from the appreciation of the real estate, but from the from the adjacent businesses, like from renting it out, from um, selling, reselling, and other side businesses around real estate. Exactly. Well, and again, it's focus on the the profits of real estate, mm -hmm. not so much the value. I, I'm right. not I'm not gambling on hoping the value goes up. Mm -hmm. I make money whether it goes up or down. I right. still make money. Now the there is there's some too. I mean, there are going to be markets that I think will depreciate, like California, the West Coast of the United States will be a good example. But I think for the most part, most of the parts of the United States I like to invest in, like the Southeast or the Midwest, you won't see that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, the best way to know if real estate will will crash or not is if anybody's talking about real estate crashing or not. If everybody's talking about real estate crashing, then it won't crash. <laughs> is anybody <laughs> Whatever, talking about real estate crashing right now? Yeah, all the time. Like, uh, I, in fact, even leading, even in the last several years, everybody was afraid to get into real estate because they were afraid of it having a repeat of 2008, right? Mm -hmm. but the funny thing is for the last five or six recessions, only once did real estate depreciate. And that was the last, the last global financial crisis. Mm 
Yeah. And that's because it got overvalued. And back then, everybody thought there's nowhere but up with real estate. That's what people thought back then. That's when you know real estate can drop. But right now, really for the last 15 years, people have been cautious about real estate. They're like, I don't know. I think it's going to crash anytime now. And they were saying that in 2015. They're mm -hmm. saying that in 2018. They're saying that in 2021 and 2022 and still in 2023. And, and it's still appreciating. <laughs> so um, when people always talk about something, that's when you know it will happen as the opposite. In fact, do the opposite, whatever you hear in the media and mm -hmm. the general public, because the general public and the media are always wrong. If they, if they, right now, I don't hear anybody talking about a stock market crash. They talk about, oh, it went down a little bit, but it's going to pop right back up. When you hear that, that's usually when it's ready for a crash. Bitcoin, same thing. Mm -hmm. When I knew that there was high school friends of mine that know nothing about money, they were asking, how do I buy a Bitcoin? Like, you know, do you just get a physical coin? What's it like? They didn't know nothing about it. When you hear that, they call that the dumb money. When that goes in, mm. that's when you know it's time to get out, right? Mm. So when everybody's greedy, that's when you should be fearful. When everybody's fearful, that's when you, I wouldn't say greedy, but that's when you should definitely be looking at buying up more. Mm. So when everybody's talking about real estate tanking, they're like, it's got to go down. It's got to go down. That's when you know it probably won't go down. Mm-hmm. So, so, so how to get in then <laughs> to tell us the five ways to free up money so we can get in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and that's, and that's, and that's really, I think what's important. I think right now, because a lot of times people always, it's like, it's like sports. People always are very attracted to offense, right? Scoring. They always want to score, but they never look about the defense. Like how do I actually make sure that I keep my money and make more too? And that's where like those, those methods of how to free up cash. Like, for example, um, one of the methods I give, and, and I have an ebook on my website, you know, you can look up more details on moneyripples.com. But for example, number one is always start tracking your money, but don't do it from a scarcity perspective because understand that there's really three money perspectives around money. There's a saver, which is in scarcity because you can never save enough or pay off your debt fast enough. There's the spender which also is in scarcity because they can never make enough money to keep spending. But then there's a steward. The steward takes the best of the spender and the saver and puts it into one person. Because the truth is, from a real principled standpoint, money is meant to be used. It's not meant to be hoarded. It's not meant to be locked away forever to never use it. Um, the Egyptians tried that. They buried themselves with their treasure and they didn't take it with them, right? Then grave robbers took the money. Mm -hmm. So money is meant to be used even while you're alive. It's meant to be spent, but spent in a way that allows you to create more with it. So use it as a place of creation, not a place of spending and consumption, right? And that's the thing that most spenders and savers miss out on. And so, for example, when I talk about tracking your money, savers always hyper-focus on what they spend. They always like to live on a quote-unquote budget, Right. Got to be on a budget. Got to live on that rice and beans and, and be cheap and make sure I cut everybody of, of value out of my life, you know, and they live this very unbalanced life. But instead, in, instead of doing that or doing that what the spender does, where they only look at the money they make, but they ignore what they spend because they don't want to see the truth, look at both sides of the equation. Look at the full money flow. And I know you know this because you teach it. There's always a flow, right? When there's flow, there's life. When there's flow of water, not just on your desk, right? But when there's a flow of water, you know, both in and out, that flow brings life to the land around it. When there's blood flow, it brings life. And when there's money flow, both in and out, there's life for you too, financial life. So that's essential. 
And so when I have people track money, I say, well, let's use a program like Mint, for example, M-I-N-T. Uh, that's a free program you can use online that actually will connect with your bank accounts and it will download all the transactions and it will help you categorize it. So instead of you having to bring out that old Excel spreadsheet, which you can use, of course, or pen and paper, which is even harder because you can mess up on your math. I actually use that so it makes my time more efficient because I like efficiency. So I can see how much money is coming in from income, but I'm also looking at how much money is being spent. And my big focus is what's the most productive use of my money? What gives it the most life? You know, is it, and especially what do you prioritize? What brings you happiness and joy, right? Those kind of things. And so the things that aren't bringing you joy or that aren't really productive, get rid of it. Get it rid, rid of it out of your life. It just creates more clutter and it really doesn't do any good for you. Do you have subscriptions that you pay for that you just don't use anymore? I had one woman, actually it was a podcast host I was, I was speaking with recently where she had all these apps that she had downloaded that were charging her every year and she forgot about it. Or, or not, if not every year, every month, she found out that by just going through and cleaning up those apps, she saved herself a thousand dollars a month in app fees alone. Uh, same Rock thing with like, a lot of apps. <laughs> that's a lot of apps. I know that's more than I have. I'm, I like minimal apps for me. Um, another, another, you know, even subscriptions like, you know, gym memberships. If you don't go to the gym, if you're not going to use it then get rid of it. Right. Um, I still pay for gym membership because I use it although I only use it when it's colder. So usually about half the year I use it, but still I'll use it for those periods of time because I'm actually using it. But if I weren't, I would say, well, get rid of the gym membership and just work out at home, you know, or do something. Um, so finding those things that just aren't productive expenses, get rid of those things. Also look at the other side of the equation because you can only cut back expenses so far. How do we make more income? How do you, and this is the key secret. This is the thing that actually got me to be financially free twice. Um, and funny enough, I didn't learn as a financial advisor. In fact, if I had known this as a financial advisor, I might've made more money as a financial advisor, but nobody teaches this as a financial advisor. And this is the key to make sure that money always is plentiful. It's always abundant. Is that dollars follow value. Dollars follow the value you create for other people. And that comes as a result of you serving somebody, solving problems, or adding value in such a way that money is just a natural byproduct. It's their way of saying, thank you. I want that in my life. In fact, the more of that value that you can offer, I want to pay these dollar bills that do nothing for me. They have no life by themselves. I want to use these, this money to be able to give me that value in my life. And that's what I, I started doing. I started looking for the, how do I create the win-win for people? How do I serve people, solve problems for them? When I started doing that, it's amazing how money became formulaic. It became almost scientific. Even though it seems mysterious to me before that, I realized that it wasn't mysterious. You didn't have to get lucky. I didn't have to, I could get rid of that um, that belief, I always had this belief that um, it was always win, lose. It was a scarcity world, right? Win or lose. Uh, for me to make more money, somebody would have to lose. So therefore, if I'm a good person, I'm going to lose. I'm going to cut back the money I make so that somebody else wins is what I used to believe. But in truth, nobody wins in that, that scarcity, limited mindset kind of world. When I started focusing on how do I deliver more value and I can actually command premium for that value, it's amazing how I got paid more, but funny enough, they were happier too. In fact, they weren't not just happier, but they actually sent me more referrals as a result of that in business. And so I got more value because I was doing my, I was using my gifts and my passions in alignment with serving and solving their problems. But at the same time, they were very excited to even refer more people to me. So I made more money, ironically enough, charging more 
because I was delivering more value because it was value first, money second. It was cause and effect. That made all the difference in my life. So looking for ways to generate more income. I know that's only two of seven points I mentioned so far, but that's a big one. I mean, that's the one that I think most people missed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably a more difficult one than cutting uh, cutting your expenses, but most people struggle with um, actually reaching the right people. And you you were lucky enough to be in the position where you already had the audience, where you could just, you know, they came to you with the problem, right? And and so you kind of abolished in advance the problem of marketing, how to attract the right people to you because you already had a base and you just had well, to find- enough, that, Yeah, that first yeah. time it happened for me when I was able to be financially free that first time in 2006, I actually uh, wasn't marketing at all. Uh -huh. In fact, they I didn't know what to call myself because people were like, are you a financial advisor? I said, no, I quit that. I'm not that anymore. And when people ask me, well, what do you do? I was like, um, I sell drugs <laughs> <laughs> because it would buy me time to try to come up, formulate a response for them because uh -huh. I really didn't know what to call myself. I was really always doing was just looking for a way to connect people. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you the secret, what I did. Um, yes, I, I did some real estate investing, but the thing that bridged the gap quickly for me was I also had business streams of income coming in, but I didn't have a business I was promoting. It was purely friends and family, um, people that I just knew because I wasn't trying to promote any business at that time. But um, for example, people, I remember 2006, the real estate market's booming. Um, people are saying, hey, should I refinance my house or not? Even though the rates were still a little bit high, they were wondering what they should do with all this equity. Well, I would teach them. I said, well, if you pulled equity from your house, use that to invest to generate income, passive income, you could actually have your mortgage payment paid for and maybe even make more than your mortgage payment. So you have more money coming in. You're essentially living debt free, mm -hmm. even though you still have loans, you don't have the payments anymore because you're offsetting those. That's a wonderful I would teach them tip. how to use the mm -hmm. equity to make money. They're like, that's awesome. What do I do? I would say, go talk to this mortgage broker over here. And I was mortgage licensed, but instead of doing the actual mortgages myself, I started referring it to a nerd. <laughs> I referred to a guy that loved doing paperwork let him do that. I would teach and do what I love and then let him do all the work. And then after a month or two, I get this check for like maybe a thousand or so dollars because we would split the, the origination fee that, that people paid. And so I was like, my goodness, I spent a half an hour, maybe an hour at most of these people to teach them something amazing. And then I get paid for it. And I started doing that with a, even a wholesale jeweler because mm -hmm. the jeweler was a third of the cost of what you would do going to a normal jeweler. So if I had friends getting married, because I was in my twenties at the time, I knew they're getting engaged or married. I'd say, don't get ripped off. Don't waste your money at this other, these other retail dealers. Go to this wholesale jewelers appointment only go talk to them. I'll refer them for you or whatever, or just say, tell them I referred you. Mm -hmm. And then I would get a check from them for like 5%. And so I became, people would call it affiliate marketing today, but it really wasn't marketing at all. It was literally just people had a question they're saying, or just talking about their life. I'd say, oh, here, I can give you a solution for that. You know, mm -hmm. and I would just connect them with people that I'd refer to. So it was only like three or four businesses, but that helped bridge the gap to where I was making like four thousand, five thousand dollars a month, more than enough to pay my monthly bills at that time, mm -hmm. and, uh, and and raise a young family even at that point. So um, that's that's the thing. Is like you don't even have to be. I mean, it does help with marketing. It doesn't hurt to do amazing work. But my point is that I was amazed that I didn't even have a business. I was actually doing less business but just serving people and money was still naturally coming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
you're the natural con uh, connector. You mentioned you're um, you're also using human design. Mm -hmm. So w were you aware of this at that time? Were you? No. Um, <laughs> but I was aware of that right before I retired the second time in 2016. I was more made aware of that in 2015. Um, and yeah, I, although I don't often promote it on my podcast because that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down. Because mm -hmm. um, there's things I did financially, but I'll tell you, when you work in alignment with the true person of who you are, it's so much easier to deliver optimal value, which then creates optimal financial results. And when I started to understand more of how I was designed to be, it's amazing how I started being happier in my work and I worked less to actually create more. Um, and like I was going through a divorce in 2015 when I first learned about it because obviously you go through a divorce, a life shift, and that's when you start looking at other options and other things. And, and that, I mean, I was, I was financially pretty tight because all my money was going to my ex-wife and our six children at that time, you know, and, and, uh, and so I was trying to figure out what to do and, but I was working like 50 plus hours a week. I was burning out when I realized that, you know, I have a design that yes, I'm, I'm a generator in that, in that world, but I'm not meant to just be like sprinting all the time. I'm meant to be more of an even keel flow and I was out of flow. And so when I started to do that, plus I was reading a book called a great business book. If you ever heard of it called the pumpkin plan oh, by no, Mike Michalowicz, mm -hmm. uh, he wrote the book profit first. That's also more well-known, but the pumpkin plan was amazing because it was telling me where to really focus my time and my energy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was really looking at what's the top 5% of my, my results that are really the top 5% of my revenue that was, that was creating all the results for me. And so it kind of like the Pareto's principle, you know, the 80, 20 principle. Yeah. I just did the 80, 20 of the 80, 20, mm -hmm. which, you know, the top 20% of the top 20% is the top 4% to give you 96% of your results. So I was focusing on that and it changed my business because I, I cut out all the extra time consuming fluff in my business. But, and not to mention when you cut out a lot of that stuff, it cut, it saves you money too. Um, then on the same side, I was making more money too, revenue. So I had more revenue and therefore a lot more profits. So I doubled my revenue that next year in 2016, combine that with human design, um, learning how I actually operate and work and not, I'm not the sprinter. I'm a, I'm more of a marathoner, literally like that's my shirts all about is marathons, right? <laughs> I have my world marathon you know, club that I joined that I want to run, run Antarctica eventually. Um, but I'm more oh, of a, a marathon, more of a pacer. Like I, I, I'm great with endurance. Mm -hmm. I'm having a lot of stamina, but I'm not a fast moving pace person. I'm just very steady. And when I started to do that mixed with being more profitable in my business, focusing on just the most important activities, combine all that together. I have more profits, more money to invest. And then of course, between the business starting to pay for itself and then some, and then I have the, the investments as well. That's what got me out of the rat race the second time where I had enough money to pay my bills, my monthly living expenses. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So it, it was useful for you, human design. Yeah, human yes. design was a big part of that. And, uh, and of course, it uses elements of astrology and, and mm -hmm. other elements too as well, which when I start to see it with people doing astrology, it's like, oh, I've seen that before. That looks familiar. You know, even though I don't understand a lot of astrology, I know you do, you do that much better than I do. But uh, it's, it's important. I think how we're designed to move through the world and how to live in it uniquely as ourselves, I think is the most important thing in business and really in life for happiness. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go back to the other four remaining, four or five remaining tips on how to free up cash. 
Yeah. I spoiled a few of them just already. Right. Um, So I talked about tracking your money. Mm -hmm. We also talked about, and that includes even increasing your income, which is another one. Um, Then passive income was the third one. Another one that helps as well is a a simple one is get rid of duplicate insurances. You know, sometimes I get people that they'll have their health insurance, you know, even though we kind of get provided for somewhat, but then they'll also buy these other insurance plans like cancer insurance or these other supplemental plans. I found that really those are not really worth the money because one, you have, I mean, it's like accidental death, right? Like there's life insurance mm-hmm. and there's accidental death. Right. Well, I have to die by accident. I don't have a crystal ball to know what's going to happen in the future. Why pay extra for something that may or may not happen where I know for certain I will die at some, some point I will pass away. I rather just buy life insurance than buying all these other little supplemental policies that they try to sell you, you know, with the commercials and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, also like, like when we're talking about like auto insurance, you know, um, deductibles, the amount of money you pay out of pocket, when you raise those up, those are sometimes the most expensive parts of your policy. So if you build enough savings, say you have a thousand dollars of savings, you could justify having a thousand dollar deductible because that savings can come in, pay for that. And then that, then everything else is covered. The catastrophic things are covered by your insurance company instead. So things like that is a really great way to free up cash. Um, that you may not have known. Uh, taxes, I, I know you have an international audience. I won't go much in depth with taxes. I would just say this, find a proactive accountant to help you with the tax strategy, mm-hmm. not somebody who just takes your numbers and says, yeah. here's your tax bill. Mm. You know, that's that's important. And, and we have some podcasts on our show. We talk about some of the strategies for US-based people. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, obviously- apply to Europe as well. Uh, but but I can tell you that with tax advisors, you I mean, I haven't been able to find somebody who's proactive. I also have to go in depth into the articles of um, um, laws and tax laws mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to actually see whether a certain tax deduction applies. Right. Ask specifically. It's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a yeah, that's a, that's a big risk. I mean, yeah. you, you should never be the expert. For somebody else's work, right. right? They should be the genius of their field. Um, it doesn't mean that they know everything, but they should definitely be up to speed on those sort of things. And so it's tough. It, it, I would say that even in the United States, I'm sure it's the same thing in Europe. I would say the vast majority of accountants are really just number processors, right? They take your numbers and say, here's what you owe in taxes versus someone that says, let's plan during the middle of the year, not after the year's over, but in the middle of the year, let's talk about things you can do to free up cash or, or free up savings. So for example, and I'll talk about US based strategies just in case there's happened to be any yeah, US listeners sure. here, which I'm sure yeah, there, there are. Were, there were quite a few US listeners. Yes. Yeah. So so like for example, um a lot of people don't realize that, you know, first and foremost, just having a corporation in the United States makes a big difference. Um if you have a corporation taxes what's called an S corporation, those uh corporations, you pay yourself two ways. You pay yourself as the employee and you pay yourself as the business owner. Obviously, in the United States, if you're paid as an employee, that's the highest tax you can get taxed. So the great thing I like to do is how do I reduce that pay as an employee and increase my pay of the owner draws or the dividends I'm taking from the business? Um, I had one one dentist that he was saying that his accountant told him that even though he's making $300,000 a year, he's not making enough to have a corporation yet. That's dangerous for two reasons. One, if he ever gets sued, people can get to his personal assets. And that's very important to have that separation between your business and your personal money, right? But two, 
he was overpaying about thirty to forty thousand dollars a year in taxes because his accountant gave him bad advice. That's thirty thousand to forty thousand every single year. Mm-hmm. I said, no, you want that corporation to protect you, but two, you can if you're making three hundred thousand a year, you could pay yourself as an employee a hundred thousand, and then pay yourself as a business owner of two hundred thousand, and you'll save money. In fact, that he'd save about thirty thousand a year just from that alone, not to mention all the other taxes. So that's why. Um, another thing, like when I use the studio, which is in my home, I pay, I have my business pay for the use of one day of using my, my home. So when I shoot YouTube videos, for example, and we have a team come over, I'll pay $2,000 for the use of my house to shoot videos. Just like a, if I, I had I to use a, a hotel. I do a similar thing in Europe. Yeah. So you, yeah. you can also um, assign a portion of your costs to your business if you have a home office. Right. Yeah. And we do that in the U S as well. Exactly. That's another one I didn't mention, but yeah, that's a great one too, is, you know, your costs for insurance and, and utilities and, and even your rent or your mortgage payment can be written off with the business by a percentage. Um, this one is, they call it in the United States, the Augusta rule for Augusta, Georgia, where the, they play the golf masters cup tournament. Um, they let us pay ourselves tax-free up to 14 days a year, mm-hmm. but that's it. So if you try to pay for like a month to month lease of our of our office, yes, I'll get a write off of my taxes, but I will not get that money tax free. I'll still have to pay taxes on that money that I receive. Mm-hmm. But if I pay for a one day's use of my home, and that's let's just say it's one day a month, that's 12 days a year, all that money I receive is tax free. So if we do the math, I mean, for me, especially, um, even though US is low on taxes compared to a lot of the world is right now, um, I mean, even if I say I pay $2,000 a day for 12 days, that's 24,000 a year. With my tax bracket being about a third that goes to taxes, I mean, that means I save roughly about $8,000 a year just with that one strategy. So there's there's a lot of things you can do. And, and what I find, especially with entrepreneurs, is that almost every time in the United States, especially, they're probably missing out on at least $5,000 to $10,000 a year of tax breaks that they could be taking and they don't. And we won't even mention the fact in the United States, you can pay your children up to the age of 18, you can pay them tax-free almost $13,000 a year. Um, and I have six kids. My wife that I'm, I'm now remarried, she has two kids of her own. We have eight children times that by 13,000, you got over a hundred thousand a year. We could be paying our kids and pay no tax on. So there's lots you, of ways. You pay you them as be... employees or what do you mean you pay your kids? Yeah, exactly. Make them, them employees. The mm-hmm. uh-huh. Hire them in the business. Exactly. You know, I even realized I didn't pay my kids just recently, took them to a, a pumpkin patch, right? For Halloween time. And I took them there and we were, and I had to do videos because they only let me get in for free. If I use my Instagram or my TikTok and everything else in Facebook. And then I realized, wait a minute, these kids are being used as essentially like child models or actors, right? right. For all this marketing. I need better make sure I look up the wages of what I need to be paying them for that three hours that I had them shot with videos and, and photos and stuff. You know, So I owe my kids money now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's a good tip to know. And there's other things too, like ways to pay off debt and what whatnot. I mean, there's things you could do there to free up money that way. But I mean, I'll, I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms that we can open up later. But, uh, but anyways, I mean, there, there's, there really is. I mean, it starts with you trying to be a wiser steward of your money, right? Watching the money you have coming in and going out finding ways to generate more income because income is limitless while expenses, you can only go down so far and you're living in a cardboard box, right? Mm-hmm. If you're doing that and then you find different ways to be productive with the money you're, you're spending, 
finding ways to maximize your income that's coming in, you'll find out that it's not as hard. And, and that's what I did. I mean, when 2009 was rolling around, I kept applying my talents, my gifts in helping people and eventually got to the right people. Because uh, I remember my uh, that one of the partners that I was working with, he had connections with people in the chiropractic and the dental space. And they came in. I remember the first chiropractor we talked to, um, we decided to go and have him meet with an accountant and review his taxes for the last three years. Lo and behold, found out he overpaid over $50,000 in taxes. Not to mention probably at least 20000 a year that he was missing out on. The man literally cried. Um, I couldn't tell if it was pain or joy. It could be the pain that he knew he was overpaid for too many years, but uh, it could have been joy too. I mean, the guy was so ecstatic that he started talking about us too, right? And then that happened in those two different industries of dentists and chiropractors. And the next thing you know, that the business I had started booming, you know, and, and now I've since launched Money Ripples. Now it's been 11 years. Uh, since I actually just celebrating our 11th birthday this month. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I'm telling you, like, that's been the secret of everything is just showing up to deliver value and, and asking for exchange and return. And I'd say this too, if you're a healer, especially if you're someone that maybe you feel guilty about making money, I'll just say this is that, you know, there's a, a very common misquoted phrase from the Bible that says money is the root of all evil. But in truth, it says the love of money is a root of all evil, more particularly that you worship money, right? That becomes your central focus point. Mm -hmm. What I've seen, though, is that if people really ask the real question, which is what's the root of money, you'll find out that almost everything good in life is the root of money. The fact that you have to serve people, solve problems for them, or add value in a way that then they use that money to pay you. When you realize it's about serving people and helping and delivering value for people, you realize that actually everything good in this world, you should be making as much money as possible. Like that's the, that's kind of like the wall swaddle science of getting rich, right? Is that it's really our duty. I'm not saying you have to become a billionaire, uh, but what I am saying is that you have a duty to prosper because the more you prosper, I'll tell you from my own experience, the more money I have to exchange and help other people prosper too. But if I live broke, if I shrink and mm -hmm. I stay that way, then the people around me won't prosper either. And that's, and that's what really creates economies. It's not the government. It's not the currencies. It's not even dealing with stock markets or real estate markets. That's not the secret to economies. The economy always comes down to how do you produce value? What production is happening? How are you creating value? When you, when you realize that everything comes down to that, and then you exchange that value in the form of dollars or currencies, whatever that currency is for you, the more, the faster that money exchanges people's hands, the more money everybody makes. And when there's that free flowing abundance of exchange, that's when everybody has an abundant economy. That's, that's how you, that's how, how you really solve the economic problems of the world, not relying on bankers to call the federal reserve to do it, not relying on politicians because they can't do anything either. It's about how you show up abundantly to freely exchange value, give value, and then receive value. And if you have that free flow of exchange, everybody prospers. Mm. I think on, on, a, on a conscious level, everybody understands it. But when it comes to subconscious blockages, this is where people stop mm -hmm. themselves. And there's there, there's so many blockages, limiting beliefs, trauma in our world in general that is stopping people from showing up for other people. And this is where it all begins, as you say. And I completely support that. <laughs> Well, that's that's where you need outside yeah. help. That's why you need like hypnosis and things like that to yeah. help remove some of those blockages or energy clearing and things of that nature. 
Mm. Now, I know I'm a finance guy that just said that, but it's true. Like you do need outside help. And that's, again, that's exchange. You exchange with that person, you pay them money to help get that value in return and allows you to create more too. So when I, when I do the work, I mean, I'm doing everything to help with my health, you know, and, and doing a lot of things with, you know, different types of energy and, and flow and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, even hypnosis as I've done that to help remove block, it's blocks and blockages. Yeah. Blockages, I guess is a word, uh, remove those blocks. Um, that allows me to be a better value creator and I prosper more. I create more money. I create more jobs. You know, that's, that's a good thing. And so, yeah, focus on you because you are the number one money maker. You are that person. I think there's this uh, prejudice that uh, uh, these consciousness techniques are not used by people in business and by successful people. And it's actually to the contrary, the people that are most successful use and this is this has been known for 20 years or more that people started with NLP executives, basically mm-hmm. all executives in the US are NLP trainees. And then they started using other techniques and uh, eventually they're just exploring, you know, whatever. But in any case, to be able to operate at a higher pace and and have the psychology, the attitude, the self-confidence, all the positive things that you need to turn things around, to move things around. You need to be a master of your mind. And, and these people are, and just as you are. Yeah. That's right. So you that are the number just... one asset. You're the mm-hmm. number one investment. Right. Yeah. So thank you also for bringing this esoteric part up. I, I, I do believe that people um, also in business are interested. They're just um, and there's still stigma about the subject, and that's why they are um, avoiding the subject in uh, in business environments. But individually, they do go to all kinds of um, esoteric practitioners and develop themselves. So don't hold back. <laughs> Take care of yourself <laughs> if you want to move forward. Thank you also very much for the practical advice. Guys, everybody, follow the... Um, the podcast money repost podcast this is where you can learn more about these nuggets and cool things that chris miles has to say (laughs) anything else chris that i've missed asking you you know i I would just i I don't know if it's necessarily a question to ask me i would just say this that i think we make it too hard I, i you know because yeah there's lots of practical things you do and people have made money hard and it's just not true it's not as hard as people think, um, but you're right. You got to remove those blocks. And so when you start to remove those blocks and you start to really accept that, hey, I can actually really be of use and service to somebody else in their life. I wish all people would have that abundant mentality to do that. If you have that abundant mentality, not only do you have hope for your own financial situation, but now you have hope for a better world. If, if everybody in the world would actually focus on how do I show up to serve people and create value? this would be a completely different world. And that's the kind of world I envision. That's the world I want. That's the ripple effect money. Hence the name money ripples. That's the ripple effect I'm here to create is to create that freedom and prosperity through people's lives. So that you are at a place where you create that freedom and with more freedom, you have more options and you have more power to be able to make a, a real beneficial change in the lives of other people. I love that. So we make uh... the fed, the fed, Bitcoin and ripple XRP irrelevant. And we move to the ripple the Money Ripple podcast <laughs> instead. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was a pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much for all the tips. And uh, again, if anybody wants to uh, get a hold of you, do you offer consultations or 
are people are you only accessible through the podcast? I mean, a podcast is a great place to start, but yes, on our website, moneyripples.com, we've got all kinds of, of information there and even ways to reach out to us if you have questions. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Such an honor. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.